Good morning, Lifehouse Church. So glad that you have joined us today. And I want to say happy Mother's Day from this mama to all of the mamas out there watching today. Happy Mother's Day. I sure hope it's a great day for you. Sure hope you uh, have some fun and special moments. Um, I have a feeling that I am going to be uh, running around in my backyard at some point trying to avoid water balloons, but I don't know. <laughs> I have a feeling that's what's going to happen. But however you uh, decide to enjoy your day, I sure hope that it's a happy one. So we are continuing on today um, in our series, Living Fearless in a Fearful World. And we have made our way all the way to Daniel chapter 4. So we're going to be taking a look at uh, that chapter today. And I have entitled this message, He Alone is God. And as God, he does some things. And we're going to look at three of the things that he does that are outlined in this passage. Uh, number one, he positions because he pursues. Number two, he opposes and he gives grace. And number three, he fully restores. So let's take a look at chapter four. Now, Daniel chapter four is unique in this sense. It actually begins with the ending. Have you ever watched a movie where they show the ending first, and then there's a graphic that appears at the bottom that says, four months earlier, dot, 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 and then they rewind and show you all of the events that led up to the scene that you just watched? Well, that's kind of what happens here in Daniel chapter 4. We start out with King Nebuchadnezzar, of all people, <laughs> King Nebuchadnezzar praising and worshiping the Lord. So let's take a look at that. Verses 1 to 3. They say, King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. So that's how this chapter starts out. King Nebuchadnezzar is praising the Lord. So imagine, if you will, a graphic at the bottom of the screen that says, eight years earlier, dot, dot, dot. So now we're going to rewind and we're going to look at the events that led up to this proclamation from King Nebuchadnezzar. So verses four to seven talk about a dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. And I'm going to summarize that for you. Basically, this dream that the king has is of an enormous tree. He says the tree is enormous. It reaches all the way up to the sky. It has beautiful fruit, leaves, the branches. Uh, the branches serve as shelter for the animals, and it's a fruitful tree. But then all of a sudden, a messenger comes down from heaven and says, cut the tree down, cut it down to a stump, but leave the stump there. The stump is then going to be bound with bronze chains. And it, he says the, uh, the stump or the man will lose his mind. He's going to exchange the mind of a man for the mind of an animal. So basically, he's going to be groveling there in the grass. It says the dew is going to fall on him. He's going to eat the grass. And Quite obviously, this dream disturbs King Nebuchadnezzar, and he wants to know, what in the world does this dream mean? 
So he calls all of the regulars that he usually calls for an interpretation of a dream, his astrologers, the enchanters, the magicians. But once again, they are unable to interpret this dream. So the king calls once again on Daniel. He wants Daniel to be brought into his presence so that Daniel can interpret the dream. So let's pick up uh, verses 8 and 9. Read that with me. So it says, Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. That brings us to point number one. He alone is God, and he positions because he pursues. Now, Daniel is in a very unique situation. He's in exile. He's, he's a captive in Babylon, but yet he has been given this unique position where he actually is granted, on more than one occasion, the audience with the king. The king calls him in to interpret his dream. And Daniel is able to give wisdom and counsel. He's able to speak on behalf of God to the king. And this puts Daniel in a very unique position. A godly man comes in direct connection, comes into his, his path intersects with the path of an ungodly man. Why? I believe that Daniel was positioned there because God was pursuing Nebuchadnezzar. Now, you may say, Nebuchadnezzar, what? <laughs> this wicked man, he is beyond being helped. He is beyond being redeemed. And quite often, that is our response. Sometimes we write people off. Sometimes we say, well, they've had so many chances, I, I just think they're done. But that is not God's heart. God is constantly pursuing. And because he is constantly pursuing the hearts and the minds of man, he will quite often position us, his people, in a place where we have influence, where we have the ear of someone who needs to hear about the Lord. I was uh, thinking about this passage, and God brought a time in my life to me. Uh, he brought it very clearly back to me. And I was 18, so I was reaching, I'm reaching way back here. <laughs> but God brought this um, period of time in my life as I was studying this portion of the scripture. And um, just to give you an idea of what happened, um, I had just graduated from high school. So again, I said I was 18. And um, I had already determined that I was going to need to work a few years to save up some money to go to Bible college. And so I began to apply for different jobs, and I was hired as a preschool teacher at a local preschool. Now, the high school that I went to was an occupational school. So we focused on academics in the morning, and then in the afternoon, you actually learned a skill or an occupation. And so I chose the early childhood education track. So in the afternoons, I worked right alongside of teachers. Um, I learned how to write curriculum, how to implement curriculum. I actually got to work in the classroom, get some hands-on experience. So at the end of my four years of high school, I actually graduated with the equivalent of an associate's degree in early childhood education. So because of that, I was um, hired to be the lead teacher in this preschool classroom. 
Well, there was an older woman in the classroom who was not very happy about that. She had been in the school for years. She had worked in that classroom for years. She had kind of claimed it as her own. And then along comes this 18-year-old, and she would always say, you're wet behind the ears. How much could you possibly know? You just graduated from high school. And she basically did not like anything about me. <laughs> she, da- she didn't like the fact that I prayed for my food, and I didn't make a big demonstration of it. I would just go in the break room when it was time to eat. I'd pray over my food, and then I'd eat. She didn't like the fact that I showed up early and left late, and I would do that because it was my first job. It was my first real job, and I say that because uh, taxes were taken out of my paycheck. <laughs> so it was my first real job, and so I wanted to make a good impression, so I would show up early And I would leave late because I wanted to make sure that I was doing a good job. And she didn't like that. She didn't like the fact that I shared my faith with people or that I wore T-shirts that said, Jesus loves you. She basically didn't like anything about me. And she did not miss an opportunity to tell me that. (laughs) She would tell me, I don't like anything about you. (laughs) And so I would sometimes go home from work. And again, I'm 18 years old. I'm young. This is my first job. And I would just say, Lord, you could have put me in any classroom. Why did you put me in a classroom with this woman? She does not like me. And then something happened. A couple of months later, uh, this woman came to me, and she was having a health crisis. Uh, Something happened, and she was going to have to have um, a surgical procedure, and she was so nervous about it. Uh, She was kind of freaking out about it. And so um, I noticed she was hanging around me one day, and kind of everywhere I went, she was kind of right there at my elbow. And so finally, at the end of the day, she said, "Uh, can I talk to you about something? And I said, sure. And I'm bracing myself because I'm like, oh, what is she going to say now? But she actually said, "Um, you believe in God, right? And I said, oh, yes, I do. And she said, "Um, and I see you praying, so I know you pray. And I'm just wondering if you would pray with me about something. And so, of course, I'm like, yes, absolutely, let's pray right now. (laughs) And so I prayed with this woman, and just over time, her heart just began to open up to the Lord, and I was able to share the gospel with her. And I believe that God positioned me there because he was pursuing that woman. And I want to say to you today that oftentimes God will position you not just for your sake, but for the sake of someone else. He has positioned you where you are because he is in pursuit of someone else. And sometimes we, we may wonder, why am I at this job? Why am I in this neighborhood? Why am I a part of this community? Would you consider the fact that God has positioned you there because he is in pursuit of someone else? He alone is God, and he positions because he pursues. And so here is Daniel. He is in the presence of the king, and he is being asked to interpret the dream. So turn with me to verses 22 to 27, and let's read Daniel's interpretation of the dream. He's telling this to the king. He says, your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong, Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field. While its roots remain in the ground, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven Let him live with the wild animals until seven times or seven years pass for him. 
This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord. You will be driven away from people and live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on the earth, and he gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. So this is what Daniel says to King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, listen, that dream was about you. But he says, listen, please take my advice. You have a chance or you have an out. Renounce your sins. Renounce your wicked ways. Turn away from them. And then you, you can avoid this. You can avoid all of these things that the dream has told you will come to pass. And you would think that King Nebuchadnezzar would listen to Daniel. <laughs> Daniel has proven to be a reliable source. He has proven to the king that he does, in fact, hear from God and that God does speak to him. This wasn't the first time that Daniel had interpreted a dream for Nebuchadnezzar. So you would think that he would listen to Daniel's advice and repent. Well, let's see how Nebuchadnezzar responds. <laughs> Chapter 4, verses 29 to 32. This is how Nebuchadnezzar responds. It says, 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, and he gives them to anyone he wishes. So point number two, he alone is God. He opposes and he gives grace. So here is King Nebuchadnezzar. He's in his palace. He's surveying his kingdom. And the city of Babylon, it was pretty impressive. Um, it had double walls. So this was a fortified city. It, is, uh, it has been said that four chariots could ride side by side and not touch each other. That's how deep the walls were. Uh, archaeologists have said that um, the walls were 56 miles in length. So, I mean, this is a fortified city. No one is getting into the city of Babylon. It's fortified. It's secure. Um, the hanging gardens of Babylon were inside of the city. And the hanging gardens of Babylon were one of the seven wonders um, during those ancient times. One of the seven wonders. So it was a beautiful city. It was a secure city. You have King Nebuchadnezzar. He was the most powerful man at the time. And he's feeling pretty good about himself. He's saying, look at everything that I've done. I've done this. And I've done it for the glory of my majesty. 
We are in a dangerous place when we begin to sit in the seat that has been reserved for God alone. Scripture says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's what James 4, 6 says. It says God opposes the proud, he gives grace to the humble. In another passage of Scripture, it says, before the fall, pride comes. I like a translation that says, pride first, then the crash. (laughs) Pride comes before the fall. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I heard a pastor say this, a Lucifer, he tried to exalt himself and he was cast down. But Jesus, he humbled himself to the point of becoming a man and dying on the cross. He humbled himself and he was exalted. God is God alone and he alone is the one who lifts up. He's the one who puts down. And we we can get caught up in pride without even realizing it. Pride can be such a subtle thing. It's that voice that whispers, you got this. You can do this. You're smart enough. You have a, enough talent. You don't need anyone. You don't need God. You don't need anyone else's help. You can do this. We live in a society and a culture where self is king. Self is king. We like to rely on ourselves. We like to be self-sufficient. People tell us, listen, you've arrived when you have all the answers, when you have all the stuff, when you can say, look at what I've done, look at what I have. That's the kind of culture that we live in, where self is exalted. And we have to be very, very careful because God, he opposes that. He opposes the proud. He opposes pride, but he gives grace to the humble. When we find ourselves in a place where God is our contingency plan, where we're saying, well, once I've exhausted all my resources, once I have exhausted all my knowledge, then I'll call on God. Then I'll reach out to him. God cannot be the backup plan. If he's the one that we're turning to last, then we have things out of order. He alone is God. He knows the beginning from the end. He is the one that is in control. He is the one that is to be lifted up. He is the one that we are to look to and to fully rely on. So how do we combat pride? Pride is combated with humility. Humility says, I need God. I recognize that I am the created one, that he is the creator. Where pride tends to crowd God out and say, look, I got it, I got it, look, I got You just hang out over there, and when I need you, I'll call you. Pride crowds God out. Humility, humility welcomes him in. Humility says, God, I need you. I recognize that everything that I have is from you, that everything that I am is because of you. The very breath that I breathe comes from you. Humility is living with an understanding that he is God and I am not. And that's a game changer. Humility is a game changer. And so when King Nebuchadnezzar finally realizes that, things do begin to change for him. Let's go back to chapter 4, and let's start with verses 34 to 37. Point number three, he alone is God, and he fully restores. 
Let's see what happens to King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 34 says, At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the people of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to the throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right. All of his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. He is God alone and he is able to fully restore. I love, absolutely love what verse 37 says. It says, everything God does is right. All of his ways are just. He is in the heavens and he does exactly what he pleases. But here's the good news for us. He does what he pleases and it pleases him to restore mankind. It pleases him to bring wholeness and healing to our brokenness. It pleases him to pour his love out on us. Yes, he is God in heaven. And yes, he does what he pleases, but he pleases to love us. That's his heart. It pleases him to pursue us. It pleases him to restore us. And so we find King Nebuchadnezzar in a place now of humility where he recognizes God is sovereign. He alone is God. And I want to encourage you today. Maybe you are in a place where you're looking around and you're thinking, it sure doesn't look like God is in control. Sure doesn't look like he's on the throne. Can I encourage you that he is very much in charge. He is very much in control. And yes, he is still on the throne. He alone is God. He knows the beginning from the ending and everything in between. And he is after our hearts. He positions us in places because he's pursuing others. He opposes pride, but he gives grace. He gives the supernatural ability to live this life to all who call on him. And he fully restores whatever it is in our lives that is broken, whatever it is that is out of sorts. It pleases our God to fully restore. 